When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! And time, and time again. Crank up the music. Charge your glass. This nation is going to dance all night. 29,000 people seeing in the new year watching Sky Sports News. Brutiful football. More unacceptable motorway detail on Five Live. Matty Upson on rain droplet sizes. Home appliances that sound like referees. Many a slip twixt cup and lip goes worldwide. The most two-bob thing ever included in an elite footballer's autobiography. The Stuart Pearce co-commentary quiz. What exactly is a pile driver? A long overdue confession from Roque Santa Cruz. The art of tucking and nicking. And Richard Keyes reaches the doing Eric Ten Hag's voice stage of exasperation. Brought to your ears by Goalhanger Podcasts. This is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry. Happy New Year to everyone. And here's your lineup for the adjudication panel, the first of 2024. First of all, Charlie Eccleshare, how are you doing? Happy New Year. Thank you and to you. Cheers. Bit of team news for you. David Walker out. Open brackets wedding in Las Vegas, not his own. Nick Miller in. Happy New Year, mate. Happy New Year, everyone. How are we all? 59th Clichés cap for you. So you are Phil Neville now. <laughs> oh, for f- you can be Des Walker if you want. Oh, no. Uh, well, come on. Uh, yeah, I'm Des Walker. Thank you. It was either that or Peter Beardsley, so take your pick. Of the three, I'm going to take Des, I think. Speaking of New Year's, Charlie, uh, the BBC's entertainment editor, Colin Patterson, tweeted some digital viewing figures for New Year's Eve. At the stroke of midnight, he found out, 29,000 people saw in the new year watching Sky Sports News. <laughs> wow. How many of those people do you reckon were security guards in high-rise buildings? <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, a lot of those, surely just it's kind of been left on or it's just always on. I do wonder, Nick, if Sky Sports News are aware or have some part to play in the juicing of their viewing figures just in sort of communal areas of buildings that have a licence. Quite possibly. Maybe there were just a select few people who just wanted to be there as the clock ticked over into the official start of the transfer window. Right. That's true, yeah. When the countdown can start. Do they still have a totaliser or, you know, the time countdown equivalent? Presumably that started on the stroke of midnight. Yeah, I, I, I have no idea how Sky Sports News see in the new year. They must have some sort of announcement. Speaking of announcements, a little tour update for you. The Football Clichés live tour in 2024. There's last few tickets going in Glasgow, Manchester, Birmingham and Dublin. Leeds, Bristol and London are virtually sold out, I think. But I suspect there'll be some spares knocking about 
on Twitter in the weeks and days leading up to it, so keep your eyes peeled. Otherwise, go to myticket.co.uk and join us for the most pedantic footballing night of your life. Right, let's adjudication panel, shall we? For the first time this year. I love this. It was just kind of a pre-Christmas delight. This was match of the day's Robin Cowan, as Dominic Solanke single-handedly took care of Nottingham Forest before Christmas, evoking some classic Barry Davies. That's a beautiful header! As a result of that now, Charlie, brutal should now be a fully-fledged football word. But what would brutal mean? Brutal. I mean, it's brilliant and beautiful, isn't it, combined? That's the sort of the, the genesis of it. Curling one from the edge of the box? Yeah. Uh, Nick, did you know which goal the Barry Davies clip is from? No, I, I was expecting Robbins to be some kind of variant of they will not learn because Forrest keep giving away leads. But, uh... <laughs> right. All oh, right, I didn't, I didn't know that's what you were expecting. Charlie, any ideas? No, I don't know. That is Ryan Giggs rounding the goalkeeper against Spurs in 1992 and scoring from a relatively narrow angle. Really? I wouldn't think of it. And that was described as brutal. Yeah, I guess I guess depends on kind of the skill that rounded the keeper. I don't think of scoring from an acute angle often as being described as beautiful. It's more sort of clever or improvisational. Well, maybe because he was driven so wide by rounding the goalkeeper, the, the uncertainty of the goal-scoring situation maybe messed up Barry Davis's mind for that split second, leading to the seminal word of brutal. There was a grace to Ryan Giggs' sprinting when he was very young, so maybe that was part of it as well. Yes, I could see it catching on. Elsewhere, this came from Joshua Milton. West Ham 1-0 up at Arsenal early doors, and Ali McCoyst and John Champion really chewing over the real issue. But it's almost a perfect start for West Ham. That's a goalkeeper. Uh, almost the perfect start. What would the perfect start have been then? To be Two three up. <laughs> Clearly. Now you're getting carried away with three now. I mean, that's after 15 minutes. Now, while this feels like the sort of groove that McCoyst and Champion have, have got into of late Nick, is there's a real good chemistry between them. This is a relatively interesting debate to me because... West Ham going 1-0 up against Arsenal, I think it was after 13 minutes. This discussion took place about three minutes or so later. It probably is the perfect start. I don't think it's even a relative term. I think going 1-0 up pre-15 minutes is the perfect start for pretty much anybody anywhere. Interesting you should say pre-15 minutes. I think inside the first 10 oh. is perfect starting. I mean, Charlie, on that logical point alone, I was simply going for the basis that you know anything that happens before 20 minutes is the opening of the game. So, okay, but if, if Nick is going to pick up on that point, let's deal with it. How do you feel about 13 minutes as being declared as the start? I don't think that would jar if I heard it. But I can sort of see what champion's getting at. Well, sorry, no, I can see more McCoy's point because perfect start... Anything more, and I don't think you'd say perfect start. You say dream start, or or we or the much discussed dream land. <laughs> this is what I was going to get onto. I think the bar for perfect start, Nick, is quite low. Perfect could imply being five nil up after fifteen minutes, but that's never going to happen. So one nil for West Ham at the Emirates, I think, is comfortably perfect start. I think perfect start and dream start are inseparable. They are they are the, exactly the same thing. But dreamland is clearly another realm, right? Yeah, absolutely. Does dreamland have a time limit on it? We established it It was first mm. half only, Charlie, before. They're in dreamland here, but there are still twists and turns yet to come, or it could even get better. But for now, they are in dreamland, rather than being the end of the game and they're in raptures. So I think it's provisional. But I think Perfect Start and Dream Start, there can be subtle differences there. Because I think a dream start is still implying there's a kind of disbelief to this. Perfect is kind of, this is very orderly, this is exactly as the manager... That was the game plan. Kind of, yeah. Like the Perfect Start is like, this is just how David Moyes 
would have planned this. We're defending really deep. We've nicked a goal just as we wanted it. Dreamstar is more... It's 2-0 after 12 minutes. This is... where. What's happening here? Okay, I will allow this, actually. Yeah, there has to be room to dream in mm. the first 13 minutes of a game. Right, next up, this came from the delightfully named Jonah Titchmarsh, who witnessed some more unacceptable motorway chat on BBC Five Live. This is Ian Dennis on duty for Aston Villa versus Burnley. Come on, Burnley, was the cry from the travelling support has made that journey down the... I was going to say down the M6, but then they've had to have made a little journey west on the M65 first. <laughs> this is unacceptable. This is the real scourge of modern football. This is twice in the space of mere months, Charlie. I don't like it. Yeah, but as I'm sure I said at the time, I can totally empathise with it's too much information. You just can't bring yourself to say something that's slightly wrong, partly for a fear. You're like, if I do say the wrong thing and then other people point out that actually, well, you, there is the M65 as well taking into account, then I'll never forgive myself. Yeah, everyone's just living in fear of being cancelled these days, even over choices of motorways. Okay, but Nick, we should perhaps admire the dedication to journalistic rigour and detail and that sort of thing. So I'm interested to know what you feel about this one. This came from Tom Kingham, who had some incredible detail in the rain reporting from John Murray and Matty Upson on Five Live during Fulham versus Arsenal. From centre field, then just flicks it back to Kearney, out to the left-hand side. Uh, the gutters have broken down. The water is absolutely pouring out of the drains at the top of the stand now, with Fulham in possession on the left-hand side. It bounces down for Arsenal. Odegaard plays it back into his own penalty area. In these conditions, anything could happen, Matt. Yeah, no, it does put a different slant on the game, doesn't it? But it's, it's the wind, John. I mean... You can deal with the kind of heaviness of rain. It's not ridiculously heavy in terms of size of, of droplets, but <laughs> it's the wind with it, isn't it? It's just making it swirl all around the place, which makes the conditions so hard to get hold of the ball. Yeah, just wait till you see the pictures on match of the day too. Now, Nick, obviously I absolutely love this clip and I wanted to tear it apart. And then the more I thought about it, you know, when you get those summer kind of downpours where the where the drops of rain are like properly massive like they dollop on you i suppose that's kind of what he means you don't get those in december do you yeah i can just picture his mindset of going hang on what is heavy rain is it droplets is it this sp- i don't know uh panicking uh just say the droplets i don't know <laughs> charlie i just love the fact that this granularity of discourse is just going on everywhere now this is just fantastic is, i have just googled this by the way and it- it says a typical raindrop is roughly two millimetres, but a large raindrop can grow close to five millimetres in diameter. Whoa, so there fuck. is a lot of scope. You know, that's more than double. I mean, I'm all for discussing it, Nick, but I'm, I'm, I don't think it has any place in the discussion of how it might affect a football match. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he's got some kind of searing insight from his playing days that the bigger the droplets, the, the harder it is to kind of run I don't know the harder they fall yeah <laughs> imagine a manager blaming the heaviness of droplets after a game droplets were just too heavy <laughs> I mean what are they playing at down here similar madness next this came from Josh I was so tempted to save this for the live show but I thought I just couldn't resist releasing it onto the wild um, he messaged in saying I've noticed my washing machine lets out a beep in the same pattern as a referee's full time whistle do any other appliances do this uh, inevitably I had to ask him for evidence so he sat and waited for his load in the washing machine to finish for it then to do the little unlocking sound and then this <laughs> I can't work out Charlie, if that might have been a deliberate thing on the manufacturer's part. I mean, is this just a universal sound for this is done? 
that mine doesn't right. do that. So whether it was deliberate or not, it's definitely not universal. Mm. What does yours do off the top of your head? It's a double beep and it carries on going until you open the thing, which is really annoying. So just an intermittent double beep. Yeah. That is annoying. Just on the, the washing machine thing, that it's surely that's the kind of perfect thing for someone to do deliberately because no one other than, frankly, people like us are going to actually notice that that is the full-time cadence of a referee's whistle. And it was exactly the right cadence, right? 100%. Yeah. 100%. So it's the type of thing that will nicely amuse the person responsible for it but not have any consequences whatsoever. Yeah, and, and, and if they ever were sort of pulled up on it, it would be a great thing to say they evoked... In the design of the machine, but yes, the uh, <laughs> Indesit Inex BWSC61252. Why are they so long, these names as well? Absolutely ludicrous. Right, next up, Charlie Listener Chris says, I heard a newsreader on the radio over Christmas say Arsenal can go first with a win tonight. You definitely can't go first, you go top. But it got me thinking, where can you go? It can only be an upward movement, and I can accept second to eighth place... But after that, I'm not sure. I don't think you can go 17th, for example. <laughs> no, you can't go 17th. You can clamber out of the relegation places or you can... What's, what's the significance of the word go here? Well, I think it's largely just factual, but I think you could... Is there any? I think you could go 9th. If, 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 you know, if you're talking about a newly promoted team and you're trying to emphasise the fact that you know, they've actually made a really solid start, you know, we're, he- we're here for Blackpool. They can go 9th with a win tonight. It's not like ninth is in and of itself particularly significant, but I think you're just kind of emphasising... Could you go 13th? I think you could go 13th. Let's say you've been bottom for like all the season and then with 30 games played, you've had this amazing resurgence, maybe under a new manager. You know, for a team that looked like certainties for relegation all season, they can go 13th with a win tonight. All right. Okay. Uh, this is great body of evidence and, and he's completely reversed it. But Nick, let's pick up on the other points. Can you go first? No, no, no. no. It's, it's, it's 100% it's top. I mean, this is a great example of the power of this podcast because previously I thought top was the only thing you could go and Charlie has persuaded me otherwise. So yeah, very compelling case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's argued it perfectly. Yeah, he got the context just right. Similar kind of nuance here, but I found it very jarring anyway. And this is from Wolves' official website announcing the uh, loan move of Fabio Silva to Rangers in the Scottish Premiership. Headline above it, Silva moves above the border. Ooh. <laughs> no one says that. <laughs> <laughs> above the... I mean, I don't know. I don't want to get into sort of flat earth territory, but is above the border okay? I don't know. Geographically. Uh, I've never heard that before. Above the border. Above the, and below the border. Why not? Yeah, why not? The only explanation I can think of that is that they had a really, really tight word count on whatever it is they were writing. So they had to knock out one word. And they were just like, uh, above, that's the same. Isn't it? Yeah, just do, just do that. They could have squeezed in north of. But north of the border, to me, Charlie, feels like over-engineering it. Everyone knows it's north. Just say above. Just above the border. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your fancy damn language. Well... If you like nuance, here it comes. Here comes Fripperies. He says, Nick, explain to me why a pitch is described as someone's backyard. Surely it's the front yard. You aren't sitting in your armchair at home looking into your back garden. I don't know why that last bit is any use to the equation here, but what do you think about it? I think you can quite easily... Surely you can sit in your your armchair and look at your back garden. Yeah, lots of people do. Yeah. Maybe it's because backyard is kind of more enclosed and more sort of definitively yours. 
Oh right, yes. The the front the front garden or the front yard, you, you know, it's it's open to the street. Anyone can see what's going on. Like a trespassing grey area, you say? Yeah, kind of. Whereas if it's your backyard, you've got to have kind of granted access to that, really. Hallowed turf. Yeah, backyards are more intimidating as well, isn't it? Yeah, that's right in your kind of more enclosed. Yeah, yeah. You're right. You're on my turf now. And and like you know things like dog fights are going to take place in backyards, not in front <laughs> yards. In full view. <laughs> You'd hope so. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, as far as I understand, anyway. Um, as far as I understand, dogfight. <laughs> um, but I think Fripper is his right to pick up on this, Nick, because if you consider the not unrelated saying of parking their tanks on the lawn, then that's definitely front garden, is it? You'd never get a tank into someone's back garden. Yeah, particularly if it's a terrace. Yeah, because that's attacking you. So for, otherwise, you're kind of breaking in and then, and then doing it, whereas it's more kind of public and facing on and fronting we're up. We're here. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. We're You're not doing it by stealth. No. Your tank's at the gates. Right, yeah, okay. Fine. Absolutely fine. Right, Charlie, I can tell you that a global movement has now been started. Uh, you'll remember this gem from Jonathan Pierce as 2023 ground to a close. The plenty of slip, twixt, cup and lip, as my old granddad used to tell me. Now, we thoroughly enjoyed this. Of course, it, of course it meant you know, anything else can happen it's not over yet cliches listener bill hupp has got back in touch he once uh, squeezed gets the shot away into an ice hockey commentary well he's back he slipped another nod to football cliches he says into a recent broadcast this time a it's a high school girls ice hockey game between the prior lake lakers and the shakopee sabers shots now 13-9 as prior lake with a little pep in their step after that go ahead goal but as any tea or coffee drinker can tell you, there's many a slip twixt the cup and the... <laughs> that is amazing. I have no idea, Charlie, who's tuning in to watch high school girls ice hockey, but I bet they were baffled by this. Absolutely baffled. I mean, it seems to me that Bill Hupp was really starting getting to grips with it himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's so good. But that's, again, a classic. So few people... Well, there probably aren't that many people listening anyway. But even within that small number, you know when you hear something you don't really understand, it just would have washed over you. Very few would have thought, like, oh, that's weird and jarring. So it's just such like a perfect crime. I'm going to feel bad one day, Nick, when Bill Hub says, Bill, we're going to have to let you go. It's all gone a bit weird. <laughs> it's it's all the weird. Yeah, is it because of the weird expressions? It, yeah, it is, yeah. I appreciate everything you've done. Yeah, but imagine if there, there is a, anyone in the, the kind of Venn diagram of the listeners to his commentary and cliches who suddenly goes, hang on a minute. If a third party had said that in, that would have been the absolute pinnacle of this podcast. But it's, I, I know an American listener who listens and has started saying for my sins a lot, and he says it's just not really a thing in American conversation, so it just gets a lot of blank looks. <laughs> right. <laughs> but for him, I imagine very satisfying. Yeah, um, yeah I, just, I just love the fact that this sort of thing could potentially travel. I mean, it's it's... Not a particularly accessible phrase, but I'm glad it is being accessed. Right, I want to round off the first half of the adjudication panel with this, a very novel turn of events. Listener Michael Cox was reading Jordan Henderson's autobiography, and there was this kind of moderate act of self-promotion in the book. I was the loud one on the team, Henderson writes. Sam Wallace wrote in the Daily Telegraph that one of the things he had learned from the match was that Jordan Henderson plays football by talking his way through a game. Charlie, is this the first ever instance of a footballer's autobiography citing a thing somebody had learned in a five things we learned piece? <laughs> it's genuinely too bad behaviour. I can't believe it. It's amazing. One of the things he had learned. I mean, one thing I'm sorry is that Sam Wallace was writing a five things we learned. Beneath him, is it? 
But I want to believe that he was, and I want to believe that that is what's happened here, and that it's been really earnestly described in that way. One of just five things he learned in that game was that Jordan Henderson talks his way through matches. And what it screams to me, Nick, is that Jordan Henderson is Googling things about himself to put in his book. (laughs) And just the Telegraph's SEO is just getting it right up there for him. Yeah, or maybe that five things he learned really did make an impression on him at the time. Who knows? Or... It's just whoever wrote, ghost wrote the book as, uh, you know, it wasn't, hang on, it wasn't Sam Wallace, was it? <laughs> that would, wow, that, what a thing that would be. That would be mad if so. Don't know. Should find out, really. But yeah, this is the greatest instance of this since uh, Sir Alex Ferguson mentioned his uh, 1986 intray in his first autobiography. Right, that wraps up the first half of the adjudication panel. We'll be back very shortly. Right, welcome back to the adjudication panel, the very first one of 2024. More gold to come, starting with this little quiz for you both, actually. Charlie, you'll go first. This is Stuart Pearce on TalkSport CoCom's duty for Liverpool versus Newcastle on New Year's Day. I'm going to give you a slightly idiosyncratic phrase that he may have used. You've got to tell me whether it was true or not. First one, did he call assistant referees linesfolk? No. That's too much. He did. What? Lines folk. Genuinely brilliant. But that's a sort of classic, slightly older man who is vaguely aware of political correctness but doesn't really want to get something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it also conjures up the image of them just standing there like, I don't know, pilgrims or something, just there, waving <laughs> their flags around just gently. Right, Nick, you can go one nil up in this absurd little competition with this one. <laughs> Did he refer to the referee abstaining from yellow cards for a short period as bookwork? Good bookwork from the referee. <laughs> I mean, that's that's more absurd. I, I'm going to say no. You're all so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> bookwork. Bookwork. I don't. I don't have an explanation for that one. Does that's... it work? Do we like this? But great bookwork from the referee. Card work, if anything. Yeah, well, this That's is the thing. The, the the card is the thing doing the, the... The book is kind of for his own personal use, really. <laughs> Let the book do the work. <laughs> if anything, the book's more important because that records the names of the players. The, the, the cards are merely the, the communication, the flourish. Then, you know, no one's recording that, except for him. So, sorry, was he saying good book work because he did, he did a flurry of bookings? I can't remember or if it, he didn't? I can't remember if, it was, if he sort of kept his cards in his pocket or, right, or, yeah. or he was really going for it. But either way, it was called good book work. <laughs> right Nick. love it either way right still nil nil Charlie this one's for you <laughs> did Stuart Pearce utter these words the Newcastle fans pride themselves on going al fresco <laughs> fucking hell I mean I think we know what you might have meant here yeah I no he didn't this one he didn't he did. say oh, for... he did <laughs> that one came from Oliver Bailey thanks for reporting that one Finally, Sam Matterface asked Stuart Pearce about Quality Street because they were chatting about Christmas and he asked him which is one of his favourite Quality Street sweet was. And Stuart Pearce replied with, wow, I like all of them. Anything under my nose is getting gone. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, he said that. Yeah, I'm going to go. Yeah, yes. he did. Yeah. Nick prevails in the one and only running of Stuart Pearce hunting grounds. <laughs> 
the way he said it though, <laughs> Charlie was just so good. And I, I like all of anything under my nose is getting gone. It's a, a no-nonsense approach to Christmas chocolates from a, a no-nonsense player. Yeah. All of this really took the edge off having to consume this game on the radio as I had to do a lengthy, unexpected drive. And it was really annoying not to be able to watch it. And then I had all of this in my ears. It was fantastic. Right. Next up, George Fry was reading a piece by the Athletics' Tim Spears about Tottenham versus Everton. And Spears, he wrote that Sean Dyche's football is agricultural and it shows lots of industry. George says, all good football cliches, but as any GCSE geographer knows, there are four sectors of the economy, agriculture, industry, services, and quaternary slash high-tech services. So which manager's football could be described as taking a service sector approach? (laughs) Great question. So the first two were well-established, agricultural and industry, but what could a service sector approach be to football? (laughs) Who's who's sort of providing sort of hospitality? I don't know. Is it hospitality? If we're taking it as, you know, the hospitality sector, as providing exactly what is required by the customer. So is there a sort of element of adaptability there? I don't know. Someone someone who isn't, like, dogmatic and changes their approach, is it? Like, Ancelotti? He he's famously kind of adapts to the circumstances rather than having his own philosophy or whatever. I don't know. I'm happy with that. Okay, but so how about quaternary then? So that's so quaternary is the more the high tech, high tech services. Well, I guess there because you're talking about innovation. I don't know someone like a Bielsa. Bielsa Bielsa was the name that I thought. Yeah. Okay. There we go. The four sectors of the economy sorted in football. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Moving swiftly on, we all aware of the absurd situation up in Scotland where Arbroath's goalkeeper came on as an outfield player and scored possibly, well, quite clearly the best goal ever scored by a goalkeeper as an outfield player. I think we can all agree. He's not been shy about coming forward and talking about it, but the BBC put the video of it on their website and called it a 35-yard pile driver, Charlie. Alex D says, I think we would all agree this was not a pile driver, but what is a pile driver? Was it a pile driver? No, I don't think it was a pile driver. I, th- I think a pile driver um, should start low, be absolutely smashed. I imagine like a Julian Dix goal as a pile driver. He he feels very like a proponent of the pile driver. The ones I'm imagining go from low to high. Well, this was going to be the crucial point. How, you know, what sort of altitude are we talking, Nick? Um, Charlie's saying low to high. What do you say? I'm conditioned because watching a lot of Nottingham Forest videos in the late 80s, early 90s, a lot of our old friend Stuart Pearce's goals were described as pile drivers. And a lot of those were, you know, many free kicks. So I think, are, are we questioning whether there's a sort of height limit on it? I don't think there is. Yeah, because a lot of his free kicks were right into the top corner and would frequently be described as pile drivers. Although I did, to my shame, I didn't actually know what a pile driver was, as in like the literal thing, what a pile driver. <laughs> Neither do I. Yeah. And it's something that kind of bores holes in the ground. So it therefore doesn't really right. make sense as a way of describing a, a goal, surely. Well, that doesn't surprise me because, Charlie, one of the things that I thought some people might throw into the mix here is that they thought, you know, a pile driver could stay low and be sort of driven into the corner, sort of rammed home with great force low into the corner but I don't think that would ever be described as a pile driver it's just not is it I don't think so that's certainly not what comes to mind for me I mean pile driver is also a wrestling move uh, so for a lot of listeners there's kind of that double and that's downwards association that's downwards yeah not just chucking <laughs> them up in the air that would be a rubbish no. move <laughs> 
<laughs> very much downwards. Right. Okay. Fine. Yeah, I'm glad we're in agreement with that one. Um, this came from listener Michael Cox. Not that one, in fact. Western Sydney Wanderers versus MacArthur FC in the A League. Valentino Yule giving the Wanderers a 3-1 lead. He came off the bench to do so, and the A-League's official Twitter account tweeted this, Nick. Valentino York gives Western Sydney Wanderers a 3-1 lead over MFC Bulls. He'd barely been on the pitch 20 minutes. <laughs> that's insane. And as a sub as well. That's, his, that's your job. That, that, that's just the, the, the amount of time a sub is on the pitch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How can this be a surprise? Charlie, this is insane. This is way over the threshold. Do you think he? Do you think he uh, thought it was less than that and went to write it? He like he, he didn't think he'd been on that long, and then was like, "Oh, it's actually twenty. But I've written about it. You'd barely been on. I, I better just follow through with it. <laughs> Who's going to notice? Who's going to pick me up does, on this? Does it make a difference if it was a like a first half substitute? No, that's still plenty of time to get into the game, isn't it? Still, yeah. still plenty of time. I mean, this is definitely yeah. the instant impact threshold, Charlie, isn't it? That we're talking about here, which I, which I previously I think we decided was about eight minutes. So is the threshold for barely being on the pitch for X minutes the same? I don't know. Because if you said he'd barely been on 10 minutes, that still feels a bit long. So I think five. I think he'd barely been on five minutes. Right. Good. 15 minutes out in the A-League. Madness. Charlie, back to you on this one. I know you love an unwarranted use of the verb admits Mm. in in football reporting. How about this one? Uh, Jacob S., says he happened upon Roque Santa Cruz's Wikipedia article last week um, because of his Christmas-themed name. Right, fine, whatever. (laughs) And there's this little section. In July 2021, Santa Cruz confessed that former France defender Lilian Turan was the hardest defender he played against. (laughs) (laughs) He said it in the confession box. That's weirder than admitted, isn't it, I think? Confessed. That's that's so weird that it it reads like kind of mistranslation. But yeah, I love it. I love any confession or admission that's just as if you would really struggle to get that out of him. Like, <laughs> yeah, this is this is my confession. Lillian Jaram was really hard to play against. There, I've said it. It's out there. I, I feel liberated now. Yeah. You've got it out of me. It's a limit on a defender where that that would actually be a sort of vaguely a confession. Like Phil Jones. It, it, is it? It would it'd be someone that would be a surprise yeah. to hear. But not just a surprise, but you know, yeah, something yeah. quite embarrassing to say that they struggled to play against them. Well, Phil Jones is a bit harsh, actually. Yeah, I think Phil Jones is harsh. Someone, someone who's actively crap. Actively crap. And or soft. Also physically unimposing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that has to be a kind of softness. Like, uh, I'll level with you. The, the tough Frank LeBeuf. Frank LeBeuf's a good chat. Or if someone said, like, you, you know, the toughest centre-back I played against was, and then it's like a full-back who had to fill in as a centre-back. <laughs> Emerson Royale. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Emerson or Ben Davis was the toughest centre-back I ever played against. You'd be like, yeah. Davis is a, <laughs> that, like, he's a great player, ridiculous. but he's not tough. Like, that, that would seem a bit... A it's not even odd. a hipster choice, is it? Yeah, it's just, it's just. It's just <laughs> but Nick, obviously, this is just a unusual choice of words. It, it's, you know, it's fairly low key. But what I think adds a little bit of intrigue to it is that I haven't checked this, and I wish I had. But I wonder when Santa Cruz last played against Turan. We're probably looking at about two thousand and five, something like that. So it's taken him sixteen years <laughs> until July twenty twenty one to go. Do you know what? I want the world to know. Maybe yeah. This is this is his big confession. It's it's been a. A secret I've been yeah. holding for these past 18 years. Went on Piers Morgan's talk show to do it. <laughs> right, next up. This came from Connor, and he says it's a fairly simple one. Here's the Everton response, though, from McNeil. 
And Calvert-Lewin is in! And tucks it wide. Can you tuck a shot wide, Charlie Eccleshare? No, you can't really tuck a shot in. I mean, a tuck has to be a goal, surely. But what does tuck imply? Tuck implies sort of tidiness of insertion somewhere, right? Yeah, that you've sort of found a little gap. Yeah. But, and, and you've found the gap and then exploited it. And, and wide, almost by definition, Nick, is almost limitless. So you can't tuck it there. I'm just imagining what would have to have happened if you try and... Because the, the, the classic use of tuck is tuck someone in tuck in bed. How it would work if you got that wrong? <laughs> if you you try to tuck someone in and it's got... It's, <laughs> tuck them and they <laughs> fell out. <laughs> you tucked him out of bed. <laughs> How do you get that cut on the side of your head, mate? Well, let me tell you. Can you get someone out by tucking them out? Or, or if you just, not necessarily they fell <laughs> out, but you just didn't really tuck, you didn't put the covers on properly or anything. It was all... But the tucking's been completed. It was all that's, over that's the place. outside of the tucking <laughs> yeah. process. The, the only thing I can say in defence of this, Charlie, is that some would argue that the tucking is the act of the shot and not its destination. It, it, it's the act of shooting. It's, it's the type of shot that was attempted. Yeah, I, but, I mean, mm, I was thinking that. Like, tucking, is a, tucking is a means to an end, isn't it? Could you squeeze it wide? Yeah, or maybe. Just squeeze that shot wide. No, I don't know if you can. But again, it, you're kind of the point is that you've kind of squeezed it in. Yeah, exactly. If squeezed is even more than tucked, if anything. Tucked implies friction. Squeezed it oozes friction. Squeezed is all about friction. So it can't be wide. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> on a similar note, this came from Tom Davis. Derby versus Peterborough on New Year's Day. Gary Weaver on comms. It's Collins. Tally with the save. Collins on the follow-up. He just will not be stopped. Finn Tally thought he'd save the day. But James Collins was on his toes to took home the rebound. And Derby County have the edge again. Now, some mitigation for Weaver here, Nick. Tucking home a rebound is the kind of the universally accepted phrase for following up from a penalty that, that you've had saved. But can you tuck home a header? Because he headed it home. Can you tuck it? Can you tuck a header? Doesn't feel right, does it? No. Because what, what are the circumstances in which you would tuck? It's... You can't tuck. Your head doesn't have the ability to tuck. I mean, again, in this specific instance, the ball went into the middle of the goal. Can you tuck a ball into the middle of the goal? It's it's very cornery, isn't it? It's a, it's probably the least tucked rebound of a penalty I've ever seen, Charlie. If you are going to tuck home a header, you do need to be quite low and sort of... Do you know what, it, <laughs> so essentially, essentially shooting it with your head. Kind of, because it's not a proper header as well. <laughs> this one like bounces and he's kind of there to... <laughs> prod one there was one Saka scored one earlier in the season at Bournemouth which I think you could say is tucked home it bounces and he kind of scuffs the header actually a little bit but it's not a proper header he hasn't met a cross I don't don't think if you're meeting a cross you can tuck home a header I think it has to bounce first you can't tuck you can't use your head to tuck just hasn't got the dexterity involved right Final question for the adjudication panel today comes from Sam who says what's the earliest in a game a team can nick it I had friends saying that someone looked like nicking it after 55 to 60 minutes. Surely that's way too early. 75 at the earliest. Thoughts appreciated. This is a tricky one for me, Charlie, because there are two ways of looking at this. Nicking the game has to be done late. It's a little bit like smash and grab. But you can go into the game with a game plan to nick a goal, and nicking a goal can happen at any stage of the game. You could nick one in the second minute and then hold on. So they're two different concepts, but if a team is going to nick it, then it has to be done in in the last 15 minutes. Yeah, and again, it is a bit of one with retrospect as well. A goal, even though it's early, you kind of get the sense it just is probably going to be the winner. I don't think you'd say that in real time necessarily, but you think back to that 
in 95-96, the game United won at Newcastle, which kind of won them, you know, that was so crucial in that title race. Cantona scores that goal really early. I think it's like the 50th minute or something. But somehow, even in that moment, it was kind of like, I think United have nicked it. <laughs> There's something about those goals against the run of play and you just sense that's going to kill the team who've conceded that goal. I think the most pertinent way of looking at it is what context to use here is the is the real-time usage of it. Does Tyler say it? when City are about to score the Aguero goal. City can nick it here. No, I don't think so. I think it's more like City can still win it here. Maybe it's for the G goal for Sunderland. I think it's for that. Oh, it is for that. Yes, as in the goal from our theme tune. No, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Can they nick it here? Yeah, you're right. Absolutely right. Okay, glad we got that sorted. It's time for the first Keys and Grey corner of 2024. (laughs) First up, it's a brand new year, but it's the same old bugbears. Here's Richard Keyes on Eric Ten Hag. I genuinely have nothing more to add to what I have previously said. Um, It's the same rhetoric every time he faces the press. We have to win as a team. You know, we have to step up. Uh, I, I mean, if I'm bored, they must be absolutely in the dressing room <laughs> listening to that every week um, n- nothing more to add <laughs> he says Charlie except doing an impression of Ten Hag's voice which actually wasn't shocking and then talking about it for another two minutes after that but this is the end game isn't it if he's doing impressions of him yeah again like, what other broadcaster would have the leeway to do that it's just amazing imagine like Dave Jones like, doing a Jurgen Klopp impression or something it's never going to happen Keezy can just do what he likes is this an unacceptable next level of Ten Hag opprobrium from Keys, Nick? It, I mean, it's incredibly childish, but it's Pretty also childish. entirely in character as well. On a kind of very basic level, the idea of Keezy having to go at someone else for banging on about something over and over again <laughs> to the point where other people are bored about it is superb. <laughs> yeah, lovely little start. Right, next up, here's Richard Keys on Declan Rice. I'm Somebody of that quality, up. don't you think, should be able to go out there today and say, do you know what? No, he's Come done on. It. Yeah. And do something. Yeah. Flash a shot that's at goal. Yes. Smash across well, into an area that matters. Get it here and break a pass there. When was the last time you saw an Arsenal player have, have, take a shot? Well, well, it's about time they did. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's an amazing question to ask. This is such a good little outburst. A, a common little furrow for Keys to plough, Charlie. You can feel him sort of palpably pining for the mid-2000s golden generation style of football here. So was it flashing a shot in, smashing across into the box, and then raking a pass? Who says raking sincerely? To describe, yeah, the absence of a rake. Like, they need more raking passes. Also, what you guys see, he does this elbow, that elbow thing when he's really emphasising yeah. take, taking game by the scruff of the neck. It's so physical, isn't it? Yeah, the v- very kind of specific gesture where he's kind of his arm is out his forearm is horizontal and his fist is sort of the wrong way round and he's yeah jabbing it's like he's you know yeah jabbing something uh yeah i love as well gray asking when was the last time you saw Osprey take a shot on i mean incredible kind of rhetorical question and then also key i mean obviously gray's point is that and they should do more but they need to do more of that says kids i know it's like just amazing if, if there are any kids out there who have just grown up on a diet of possession football and sterile domination um if you ever wanted a definition of taking a game by the scruff of the neck 
then Keys has just provided all the possible components of it. It's just so good. But my favourite bit of it is definitely getting it here, raking a pass there. Uh, just, just so good. He, he feels it. It's visceral for him. And just to get the chronology, so this came first, and then there was the Declan Nice blog. Yes, post. Declan okay. Nice, which I didn't spot. I didn't spot the headline at first because he puts the headline in the tweet. And I, 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 my eyes did not spot Declan Nice pun. And then I only discovered it later on down the blog. It's a great blog. His first blog of the year was so good. Unreal. Declan Nice. Third and final item for Keys and Grey Corner. Here is 35 seconds of Keys, Grey and Jason McAteer fixating on a proper football man thing. Yes, please. The responsibility of being vocal and dictating and he might be being aggressive. Vocal, Jason. I don't know him as a person. But I, I 100 know, million. I know. I, I, hold on. Uh, you can pay 100 million for somebody who's not very vocal. Messi wasn't very vocal. Neither was Ronaldo. Well, well that was completely different no, kind of player. Yeah, you're either things. vocal, both you're either vocal or you're not. Roy Keane, I can tell you, was vocal. Patrick Vieira. Right? Patrick was vocal. Right, who's, then, who's, teams who's won the man titles? City captain at the moment? Then, who's captain at Odegaard. No, City. Oh, City's captain. Rod, is it Rod, Rod Silver, is it, I think? Oh, Walker. Uh, Walker. <laughs> there you go. Hard yeah, but I, I, I'm not saying, <laughs> oh, I'm saying that he needs to be vocal. <laughs> I'm saying he needs to <laughs> Just a great example of when you hear a word over and over again, it needs to all mean. I'm also really confused about a lot of those examples. Like, what points that is trying to be made with some of those examples? Messi wasn't even vocal. <laughs> so Messi wasn't vocal, but he could influence games. I thought Vieira, I don't think Vieira was necessarily especially vocal, was he? And then is the Man City example, is that men to support the point or not support? I genuinely don't know. <laughs> It completely fucks the point, is what it does. <laughs> just that they didn't realise that Carl Walker, who is, let's face it, quite vocal. <laughs> it's, just, it's just such a thing for them to be obsessed by, players being vocal. Oh, dear. Great stuff. Well, you, you two have been perfectly vocal on the very first Clichés episode of 2024. Thanks to you, Nick Miller. Thank you. And your 1950s microphone. Thanks to you, <laughs> Charlie Eccleshare. Thank you very much. Thanks for everyone for listening. We'll be back on Tuesday. We've got some gold lined up already. See you then. Bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.